0: This is the Langpreneur podcast, where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aa. Hey everyone, this is Jan. You are listening to the Langpreneur podcast, and I hope that you are safe safely listening to the podcast wherever you are i hope that you are in quarantine you know if you are at least well from europe the states um most of us are in lockdown now so well it's kind of a i find it a little bit of a depressing situation not being able to go outside um i haven't seen friends for a while and actually my wife gave birth to our first daughter last monday and uh, yeah we are not allowed to receive any visits so it can be a little bit of depressing times you know i would say but fortunately <laughs> there's still of um you know still ways to connect and reach out to other to your friends and other people in our community um on the internet of course by listening to podcasts um Language learning, if you like learning languages, I've been using most of my time to, well, take care of the family, of course, especially this week, but also just to get a lot of stuff done. Um, Originally, we were planning to hold a workshop in in Berlin this weekend. Um, We were not able to do that because of the whole uh, coronavirus crisis. So now we're going to do actually, we're going to do the event online. Um, and on top of that we're going to do another event later this year in the autumn a special mastermind event so if you are one of the tickets holder if you have a ticket for langpreneur business breakthrough then you can join us there for free well again i hope that you're safe in carotines in your homes depends a bit on where you are of course here in the netherlands and in belgium the situation is pretty pretty serious um the big question what are we going to talk about today on the podcast, right? Well, today's guest is Brett. Brad from Learn Thai from a white guy. If you have tried to learn Thai yourself, um, you know, you've looked for videos on YouTube or if you have searched for information on Google, there's a big chance that you came across his content because, um, well, learning Thai, that's really his niche. Brad is from the States and well, it was a while ago, I think, yeah, it was in 2013 when the uh, when he actually ended up in Thailand for the first time. He didn't really know where to go, but he knew that he didn't want to live in the States anymore. Then he met someone who recommended him to go to Thailand, where he started learning Thai from day one. He became fluent in Thai and then, um, well, basically started helping other foreigners learning Thai. He turned it into an online course. Um and um yeah he has um he's had an online business ever since so in this interview you're going to learn well first we're going to talk a bit about brad's background story and then we're going to talk about the challenges and opportunities that come with un with sorry with running online ads because he mainly like most of his well i'm not not sure if it's most of his revenue but he mainly built his business through running online ads google ads to be more specific um how you can start making a very good living with a relatively small audience, which might be relevant for a lot of our listeners, for you, and how you how building a language freedom business can change your life, because that's basically what he has. Um, you know, many of us have an online business. We have all different ambitions. Some of us want to, you know, build a real company with employees and an office, and others just want to have others like Brad just want to have the freedom and, and travel the world and Brad has been traveling the world for years now um, you know there were years where he was really traveling all the time and you know having this online business allowed him to do that so if you are interested in well if you are a langpreneur, this episode is for you especially for those who, are into, who, who like the idea of running a an online freedom business um, yeah I'm sure you're gonna enjoy this episode so Without further ado, let's get started with this interview. Here is my interview with Brett. Hey, Brett. Welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Um, Yeah, the first question on the podcast here for our guests as always. Could you please introduce yourself and um, tell us about how you got involved
1: in languages
0: and online business?
1: All right. So I'm Brett, Brett Whiteside. And my main business is Learn Thai from a White Guy. Where I create and sell online Thai courses, and as well as a lot of free Thai learning content. Mm-hmm. So
0: you moved to Thai. When did you move to Thailand?
1: I came. I went there in 2003, like early 2000. I believe it was March 2003. What brought you there? <laughs> it, was, it was very random. I. Probably at the end of the previous year, I was had kind of gotten the opportunity to go to to leave the U.S. for the first time. I went with a few friends to the U.K. and I traveled around the U.K. and Ireland. And I knew basically that I didn't want to live in the states anymore. Once I once I realized I could leave and that I'd be fine, yeah. there, I basically went back, gave away everything I owned, and left the states like five months later.
2: Wow.
1: And so the first place I went back to the U.K. and then I was in Ireland and then I got I got robbed in Ireland in a hostel. <laughs> and then the next morning I was kinda of panicking a little bit, trying to figure out what to do and where to go. And someone else in the hostel that was just nearby said, Oh, you should try Thailand. <laughs> it's nice and it's cheap. And uh, so I bought a ticket to Thailand. I didn't even know where it was. And then you arrived in Thailand and what were you gonna do next? Just chill out and until you ran out of money or what was did yeah, you have I a mean, plan? Yeah, I mean I had I had some I had, you know, maybe like three thousand dollars left or something like that at that point. Yeah. And I don't know. I figured after being there a little while, I was like, oh, I could live off this for a year or two, because <laughs> <laughs> it was two thousand three. The you know the exchange rate was great, and it was hard to spend money there. Yeah, and I and then I started teaching English, and I was I tried to learn Thai from the day like the first day. I bought some some phrase books before I got on the plane, mm-hmm. and I was you know I listened to some CD. It was like Living Languages. I'm sure you've heard of that one, mm-hmm. and to which I think I learned the numbers and a few phrases. I didn't know how to learn a language or anything. Yeah. Uh, and then I just got there and walked around with like a Lonely Planet phrase book and started yelling at people in Thai, thinking I knew what I was doing. And it worked? No, no, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was not working. But okay. I didn't know. I, I thought yeah. it was great. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I got an act for this. Mm-hmm. And it was probably towards the end of the first year that I, I, I got a job teaching English in another province. I, I mean, originally, I was in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to this other province about halfway to Bangkok and... Uh, going there I thought my tie was great and I you know I realized pretty quickly that it, maybe it wasn't as good as I thought it was because I had a lot of trouble understanding people and they didn't understand me and at first I thought it was you know it was all of them <laughs> but but eventually I realized that the problem was probably me yeah and and that's when I kind of really dug into the script and the pr- and pronunciation and and that's kind of when everything leveled up and I, everything changed pretty dramatically at that point And I and I even remember like I remember there was very. There was moments of epiphany where I was like, I can't believe I've been saying these two sounds wrong for so long, because they're so different. Once I kind of had a way to map them in my mind with the script, and that was sort of the, the catalyst for everything else. Mm. I guess many
0: foreigners are dealing with the same problems, right? So they go to Thailand. It's a, there's, there's different sounds, and just Thai people can't understand them. So you. Right. So with um, learn Thai from a white guy, you kind of help them overcoming these problems,
1: like getting the pronunci- pronunciation right and yeah, um, it's, showing it's the, the difference. Key- I mean, as I'm sure you know, until you kind of grasp the, the sound system of a language, it's, it's really hard to, to make any real progress. Mm-hmm. Because you're, it's, it's a lot of the, one of the big problems is if you can't say the sound in your own mouth, it's really hard to parse it when other people are saying it. So you, you miss so many sounds. Yeah. But if you get really comfortable with the sound system, you can, you can hear what the sounds of what people are saying, even if you don't know the words yet, which mm-hmm. just makes it easier for you to pick it out, remember, maybe write down, and then figure it out later. Or, you know, once you've heard it a few times, you tend to learn it.
0: Yeah. How long did it take you to become fluent in Thai?
1: Uh, I mean, what is fluent? Yeah, mean? what is fluent? I mean, <laughs> uh, I'd say, I'd say like three years. Three years. So, just f- to become like like, to the point where I could, like, read books and not sound like an idiot in most of the situations. But, you know, even now, 17 years later, I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. if someone asked me to give some speech on politics, I could kind of do it, but I would sound probably like an idiot. Yeah, because it's just, you know, I I just spend my time on the things that I'm interested in. I don't, I don't learn things just to say that I can do them or to to pass a test or impress anybody. Mm -hmm. I just do what I like.
0: When did you start, I, uh, sorry, no, what's it, what's it called? Uh, Learn Thai from a white guy. And uh, what inspired you to start that website or blog or what was it in the first place?
1: So about 2006, I, that's when I started teaching Thai on the side. I had uh, a friend who was always complaining to me about why his, he, could, his, he couldn't figure out why his Thai wasn't very good. And he had been in Thailand longer than me. And he didn't, didn't understand if he had been doing it longer, why wasn't he better than me? <laughs> and and I, at that point, I, you know, I long knew that it was, it's because you haven't learned to read and you've never really learned to process the sounds. So everything you're saying is essentially wrong, which nobody wants to hear, to hear but that's the only way to move forward is to accept, you know, to accept that you're not as good as you think you are. And so I told him, if you want, I could probably teach you the script. And he's like, "What? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard." <laughs> and uh, he like, so he ran off and he said, "I'm going to go find a school." And then I ran into him a couple months later, and he's like, "Yeah, I asked a bunch of schools, and they wanted me to take some like 30-hour speaking course before they teach me the script." So he said, "Let's try your way." And so he was the first person I taught, and it worked really well. It worked so well that I started blogging about the process as we were when we were meeting and the things that I would try with him. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the beginning of it. it. I don't. It was just called like Learn Thai at Blogspot or one of those free blog things back in you know the or the mid 2000s. Yeah. And then the name came about probably. I don't know. It, uh, probably like the end of that decade, like 2009 or 10. I, I, people had already been calling me the white guy since mm-hmm. like 2005. That's the earliest I remember being called that. I was I was studying at a Thai university and I got an exchange program to Australia, so so I studied. You were I studied,
0: su- You were studying at a Thai university. Yeah,
1: it, and I in paid, Thai. I, ba- I had to get. To, I basically got to pay the tuition at the Thai university with the time, which was about two thousand dollars a semester, or something, and I got to go study at a at like a university in Melbourne.
0: Oh right.
1: Really? <laughs> so and I be- and I stayed at like an international house, and I was like the white guy from Thailand.
0: Oh, I see. I see. See so yeah. You were the Thai so. student
1: in Australia. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the site was probably up by like 2009-ish, and I, but I didn't have a product until 2012. I think is when I I'd kind of worked on it from 2000. I, I started in 2009, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was still of the mindset that I why would anyone buy anything that I made? Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't understand that there was money on the internet. I didn't get it. But then 2012 is when I started when I finally put a product up and I made sales immediately.
0: Yeah. Do you already have a big following at the time?
1: A or few hundred people. On the mailing list? Just, uh, I didn't have a mailing list at that time. It was just a blog and people were kind of occasionally put linking to me because I guess they'd, you know, other people in the Thai community or learning Thai mm-hmm. community were sort of aware of me and we kind of knew each other.
0: Yeah. So they just and, went to the website and they, they liked the method. They liked what you said and just bought it directly off the website. Yeah. It was,
1: it was an ebook early on and then I, I'd, yeah, I I just, I mentioned that I had an ebook and I sold like 11 the first month. So I made about 500 bucks the first month I sold the product.
0: So, I mean, what was the next step for the first time? Like your your business idea, you basically realized that you had the business in hands, right? What did you do next? Did you go all in or were you still working? Were you still studying at the time or what? what uh,
1: I, what I, I graduated, graduated in 2009. So I okay. was just... I was doing translation, I was teaching Thai, I wasn't teaching English so much anymore because I was, at that point I was able to charge quite a bit more money for for teaching people Thai. At this Mm -hmm. point, we're kind of like, the early digital nomads were kind of coming into Chiang Mai at that point, and so I could charge them like, you know, 35, 40 bucks an hour to teach them Thai, which was, you know, pretty respectable back then, I mean, it still is not that bad. Mm -hmm. And that was way more than I could make teaching English in any situation. Yeah. And it was you know paid better than translation, which is like slave labor <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I guess I, I I didn't know what to do, but I knew because I was teaching people, they were kind of telling me what to do, like you need to make a mailing list and and so I had help
2: Yeah. Or i had guy-
1: I had guidance in the early days on how to how to go from okay, now I have this ebook with a price tag, well, how do I tell people about it? how do I mm. set up a funnel so yeah, I mean, I just started doing that on the side, and then I think I started Google Ads, like for search, probably, probably early th- 2013, mm-hmm. and then you know it ramped up pretty quickly. Even though I didn't know what I was doing, it, you know, and sometimes you make mistakes. I mean, it, it, money started coming in. Yeah,
0: for the people who don't know how Google Ads work, can you t- tell us a little bit more about how it works exactly?
1: Uh, for search ads, basically, you put some. Well, if when someone searches for something on Google these days, what you see on the top of the page is always gonna be almost always gonna be an advertisement.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you're searching for Learn Thai or Learn Chinese or whatever it is, I'm gonna be bidding on that keyword, Learn Thai, or Learn Thai Online, or Learn Chinese classes, or whatever it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's an auction going on and we bid on who's gonna be up on top.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if people click on that ad, then Google is, you know, I'm, you know, Google's basically charging me money.
0: Mm-hmm. So you pay per click.
1: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it depends. These days you're more like, it's more like cost per acquisition. So like for, you know, a lot of these days you can, you can make it for paying for maybe signing up for an email or making a sale or taking some action on your site, like downloading an ebook or something. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you want to do, but, but yeah, it's it's easy to just think of it as cost per click for now. Yeah. If you're, just getting started mm-hmm. now
0: the big question of course is how much can you afford for a click um, how do you how do you know how much you can afford for a click is that a matter <laughs> of keeping track of all
1: the numbers so I, I've redone the adverts many times and I've also done advertise like goose I've also set up ads for a lot of other people now so what I generally do when I start a campaign from scratch is I bid really low especially mm-hmm. if you don't have much of a budget because you have no idea I mean, Google will give you estimates on what things will cost, but I wouldn't trust Google <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: because, you know, their their primary goal is to make money. It's not to help you make money. Yeah. So you always want to start low and gradually creep it up. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for you to, like, bid really high and burn up all your money and not know what you're doing. So mm-hmm. I I, I was always, you could even, you know, bid with whatever Google says, maybe start at like 10% of that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're not getting any action, then gradually ramp it up, maybe 10% per day and just see what happens. So yeah. if, if if Google says to, you know, make it a dollar, I would start with like 10 cents or 15 cents mm-hmm. and if after 12 hours not a clicks come in, then you move it up to 10 20 cents, 25 and just keep going. Yeah. And and then start there. Mm-hmm. And then you can gradually optimize, especially if you don't know what you're doing. It's very it's very dangerous to to just bid really high. Mhm.
0: So can you give us an example of a campaign so th- that you are running at the moment or that has been working very well for you in the past? So, for example, so people go to Google and then they search right. for learn Thai or learn Thai fast or learn Thai alphabet. They see right. you there, you're on the top. They click on your website and then what, what? What's next? You capture that email address and like how does it? What does the the funnel look like?
1: The way I calculate this now is. Yeah, they they're gonna look at the search for learn Thai, and then they come to my homepage or my landing page, and then if they give me their email, that's kind of how I'm calculating it. I'm basically figuring out how much am I paying to get an email address into yeah. my onto my list, and and which means into my funnel. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm looking at how much do I how, how little can I pay to get an email. Mm-hmm because because the the reason you're you're gonna always pay more for Google versus say like an email on Facebook is because there's search intent, which means that they're searching for something that you're offering yeah which means that the percent chance of that person becoming a paying customer is much higher than if they if they were you know if they were searching for something totally unrelated yeah. and ended up on your site because your ad was wrong or your yeah. landing page didn't match up to what they were searching for mm-hmm. so so you're ideally you if someone's if someone's searching for uh, fastest way to learn to read Japanese, you, you, know, you want an ad that says something very close to that and then you yeah. want to put them on a page which mentions everything that they've asked for. But, or yeah. at least that answer, it either answers their question or repeats what they're searching for. Mm. And, then, and then you're pitching them, like why should they give you their email? Like what are you gonna, you give them some, something free generally, whether that be an ebook or free lessons or, or, or whatever your offer is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then once they're on your list, you gradually introduce yourself to them over time and give them a lot of useful stuff, and occasionally mention that you have something that they can pay for.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. That's and have you have you seen like, or have you experienced how the cost per, per acquisition went up like <laughs> yeah. in the last decade? Uh, and uh, like, what kind of numbers are we talking about? And is it still sustainable
1: uh, in, in the early days, like two thousand four, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen? Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it was it was always around two bucks and change hmm. once once it got going. Until about 2017, it went up a little bit, and then 2018, it, mo- it basically doubled.
0: All right.
1: So I now pay sometimes seven dollars for an email.
0: Seven dollars for an email address, but this person or the person who gives you the email address is uh, is probably going to be very qualified, right? Because he or she has a problem. She he or she was looking on Google for a specific
1: answer. Right. So. I've been doing AdWords a long time. So my funnel, my, my as far as my Google ads go, everything's very well optimized. So I have a pretty good idea of what percentage of those people are going to come in yeah. into my funnel. And so, uh, I mean, if you were just starting out, you, I wouldn't recommend paying that much <laughs> if you were selling Thai courses, for example, because until you, you know what your conversion rates look like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because that's that's still very expensive. I mean, it was, it was pretty catastrophic to go from, like, three dollars on average to, to to upwards of six or seven
2: yeah
1: it changed i mean i had to change i had to rethink the whole business in like 2018 mm-hmm. i there was a period where i thought it was over because mm-hmm. i was like how can i pay seven dollars for an email address yeah because especially because you'll get a lot of dead emails and all you'll get bots and you'll get people who just you know you'll list plenty of people will sign up and click on stuff and never buy
2: mm-hmm.
1: so did you do you manage to find a way
0: to to fix your funnel so that eventually more people ended up buying and it was yes worthwhile for you to, to keep running ads for uh, for
1: seven bucks
0: per email address? Or where how yeah, could you I fix this? this. Well, really.
1: There was a couple of things I did. One is I, I started the ads from scratch, so I reoptimized everything to cut down the cost. Because at that point if I can get it down to like seven instead of eight dollars or something
2: mm-hmm. by optimizing
1: it, it's it's totally worth it. Yeah. And then I also I switched over previously my for most of the years that I had this business, I was selling uh, lifetime access, like one-off purchases, to mm. four courses,
2: mm.
1: and probably eighty-five percent of the sales were all from the first course. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I switched everything to a subscription, and then I, which gives you access to all four courses as well as any you know, any new content that I that I occasionally add in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then now, when you stop paying, you. You no longer have access to the content and to me yeah and that turned out to be great i also reactivated a lot of my old customers over the years in the like last year which helped a lot as well so i made an i made a separate subscription plan for them so that if they hadn't bought any of those courses they can now get on a special subscription plan so they can access all this other content as well that's really interesting
0: any other things that you did in order to uh, make it worthwhile like do you maybe also have the idea of trying a new medium, like running Facebook ads or YouTube ads, or how do you see these platforms? Um, yeah,
1: I, I did. I, I have been doing. I've been trying to do a lot more of things on the side. So I, I did write a bunch of SEO geared posts last year, which helped my organic traffic pretty. It, it made a, it made a pretty pretty impact on the organic traffic, and then I've also been like doing other people that have Tile-related YouTube channels, I I was collaborating with another person, like a YouTube personality for a Mm -hmm. while. I did a bunch of videos with her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I'm just trying to, I'm open to trying more things. So I'm occasionally investing time into doing different things just to try other channels out. Because over the years, it's like, okay, I got really good at this and I have some level of ability with everything else because I've had to do everything over the years. Yeah. But it always seems like I just don't get the same kind of results with organic or Facebook that I do with Google.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
1: so it's yeah these are these are things I struggle with it's i I occasionally use Facebook ads, but mainly I, I stick to retargeting these days. I don't feel like uh, i don't feel I feel like Facebook emails these days for lead ads are really tough for this for my kind of products,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know the art of experience. Like at Language Booth, for example, we also run Thai for ads. Uh, sorry, we also run ads for Thai, not at the moment, but we've done mm-hmm. it in the past. And we see that many people, especially for Thai, they're very skeptical about right. what you are selling. We've never experienced that for any other languages. But for Thai, people are so skeptical, they're never going to work, scammers, you know, this, <laughs> this kind <laughs> well, of comment.
1: I think, I think the odd, you know, a lot of these are just like, Old Western guys, yeah. <laughs> the traditional, <laughs> the traditional expat who, you know, there's a there's a particular type here, and I mean, you know, these people. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've seen them all the time, and and they're suspicious. That, you know, they yeah. don't they don't understand that that not everything on the internet is a scam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've done I, occasionally. Well, every few months, I'll, I'll give Facebook lead ads a try again, but they're very expensive and they don't convert very well at all. And I can never. I can never really justify the cost for any length of time because I can't prove that, that it's, it's, it's bringing anything in. Whereas retargeting will work for a while and then whatever the ad is, you just got to retire it for a while and you can try the same ad again a few months later. I don't know if you've noticed that with Facebook but I have found that to be one of these little weird tricks that doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it seems to work where uh, I'll turn on ads for a while and they'll, they'll do good and then they'll stop working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then, and I don't know if that's a saturation, or I, I don't know exactly what's happening. But then I just turn them off, and I'll try it again two or three months later, and, and it'll be good again. again. It'll yeah. be like a fresh ad, and like maybe Facebook pushes it more. I, I don't understand what their algorithm is doing, but mm-hmm. I found that to be something worth trying every so often.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that the most uh, the most of our listeners here. On the podcast, they uh, do not have, they do not really have any experience with uh, Facebook ads or running ads, running paid okay. traffic. Could you maybe explain how that works? Retargeting, Facebook retargeting that you talked about.
1: Okay, well, retargeting is when you're. Well, you know, let me give a specific example. <laughs> so if so, if someone comes yeah. to my site, yeah, they're they're triggering what's called a tracking pixel. Mm-hmm. On whatever page, so I, I know that so some person from some place has come to this particular page. Mm-hmm. So what you can do both in Google and in Facebook is target those people using cookies to, which will then allow you to retarget them as well. It's referred to on another platform. So if you visit my sales page and I happen to have retargeting turned on on Facebook, you're going to see ads of me trying to sell you on my on my courses.
2: Yeah.
1: Because I know someone that made it to the sales page is a lot more likely to buy than, say, someone who came in organically to how to say thank you and tie or something like that, who has, who, has a, who has a much lower intent.
0: Yeah. So you show an ad on Facebook uh, where you say, hey, i seen that you were interested in my course, uh, but right. for some reason you did a buy. Here's a special offer, something like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like, hey, I, I saw you were like looking at my course. You know, Let me know what's holding you back. Or here's a 20% offer if you buy this week or something like that. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. You always change up the offer. You change up different pictures. I've tried videos. Sometimes I'll use testimonial videos in the retargeting, mm. which occasionally works. Mm. It and depends I- on, you know, you can't really, you, you can also set up different levels of intent. Like people that have been on a page for a certain amount of time or people that have, you can also set the time frame. So someone that's been on your page in the past seven days or 15 days or 30 days or whatnot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one way to get traffic is of course organic traffic and then there is paid traffic and you have a lot of experience from what I can hear with paid no. traffic. Now for the average listener um who has a blog they have been only uh, they do get a lot of organic traffic but maybe they haven't really experienced with paid traffic. What would you recommend? Where should they start? Is it Google Ads, is it Facebook Ads, YouTube, uh, Instagram there's so many so many options these days. Um, does it depend on your audience? Does it? What are the first things that come to your mind?
1: <sighs> well, <laughs> if they're doing everything by themselves, which is usually what's happening, mm-hmm. I think you just gotta choose one and spend a while trying it because yeah. It's actually really complicated to like the interfaces of of using these systems can be really intimidating. It's imagine if imagine like the first time you look at like Microsoft Office or something and there's like 800 buttons or whatever,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you don't have any idea what they do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's easy to get lost. Yeah, uh, you know maybe take some courses or read some like uh, some tutorials on the basics of whichever one you want to try, and just spend 30 days and you know come up with a budget whatever you can afford. Mm-hmm. maybe try try spending 100 bucks over a month on google and see what happens
0: yeah yeah it takes a while to figure out how it worked, and also to really become good at copywriting testing all these things it's really something that that's going to take some of your time i mean it started right. with facebook ads like one and a half year ago and it really needed like at least a few months to really figure out what works and what doesn't work for the business so it's kind of a right. it's uh yeah it's it's a new skill uh i would say right
1: it's it's worth knowing how to do it even if eventually your goal is to hire someone else because yeah. mm-hmm. once you kind of get the hang of it, it's not really that hard. It just becomes time-consuming to come up with, you know, plans and different tests and then keeping an eye on those tests.
0: Yeah. How do you how do you test? Like, do you keep track of all your, of all your numbers or how do you know what works and what doesn't work?
1: I'm just looking at conversion rates for for email opt-ins basically. I mean, that's, that's the most important number for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll generally be running a bunch of ads, and then every once in a while, I'll just poke in there and see if, if one of them's underperforming compared to the rest, I'll I'll replace it with, like, basically what I'll do is I'll take a copy of the, the highest performing one mm-hmm. and just tweak, tweak the headline or tweak something in it, and then let it run for a month or two and see what happens. And then I'll check back and just see what the conversion rates are looking like. Yeah.
0: So, it's really like the idea here is to really keep optimizing what's working best. So every time right. you start a new campaign, you, you try like three different things. One mm-hmm. thing is working best. You keep that yeah. and you use that in the next Well, campaign,
1: sometimes, sometimes you get into a streak where things seem to be really going well and you don't, you're afraid to mess with it too much. So I just, I just a lot of times will test small small changes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For me, like Thai is not a huge niche. Mm-hmm. So if I run a test, it's going to take a while before I have enough data. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm doing something on the homepage, usually I can I can get a decent amount of data within a week. Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing it on the sales page, that's which is getting a fraction of the traffic compared to the homepage, I may have to wait a month before I can make a decision on whether something worked or not,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is very different than if you were teaching English or something like that, where I'm sure, you know, if you once you have an audience, if you're getting, you know, tens of thousands of people per day, you can make decisions very quickly because you have data.
0: Tell us a little bit about... Building a business that ge- can, that generates passive income, because well, you also uh, you also do like traveling. In, just for those listeners who you're not really sure if it's possible, is it really possible to travel for a year straight, not work, and keep
1: generating money every every month? Uh, I mean, it's not impossible, but, but it's but I don't feel like I know very many people that that do that. Yeah. We we. I mean, even when I, in the past, when I was traveling nonstop, I, last year was me slowing down and I, I only went to like five countries, but the year before, I think I went to 12 and the year before that I went to 25. So I I was traveling like all the time and I I feel like all my, like all the people that I know that are successful internet entrepreneurs, they all work a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: how do you manage to do all of that without working too much or do you think that those, those friends that you have that are very successful, that it could be doing the same thing as you. They could travel more, but they just, just want to work more.
1: Uh, I mean, some of them, uh, there's so many different types of people. Some of them will set up shop in a place for six months or a year. Some of them will spend a month in a country and then go to somewhere else for a month and every once in a while they'll stay longer and then they'll do mini trips on the weekends. And but they're working like full time during the week.
2: Yeah,
1: you know they're usually pretty disciplined. You know, maybe they don't drink during the week, and they, but they'll party hard on the weekend. So it's very similar to an office job, except they're just working in their Airbnb or in a co-working space. Yeah, but it you, depends on what you're. It really depends on what you're doing. And I mean, do you have employees that you have to touch base with all the time? Yeah, it does Does it run entirely without you? There's so many different types of businesses.
2: Mm.
1: For me, it's like if I didn't do anything. It would still make money for a while yeah but you know there's always competition Mm -hmm. so you can't just you can't be lazy for too long because someone will make something better than you eventually
0: yeah I see I guess it also depends on your own ambitions right like some people want to travel and, you know, I find just checking their ads one hour per day, you know, you, right. you could maybe do that for a year. But, you know, some other people, they just want to, I don't know, they want to have an office with employees. I think it also depends on the, st- like the kind of stage um, right. at life uh, or the stage you are in your life, right? So, but, so what you're saying is basically that it is, it is really possible to live a remote life and to travel more for, let's wow. say, a few months per year,
1: as long as you keep checking your email optimizing uh, it, it, it depends on what you really want out of life yeah and where, where do you find the joy is is the joy in building things that have value and sharing them with people or is it in making money is it in seeing other places yeah I think everyone has to figure that out for themselves and you maybe you don't know yeah so it's, it's okay to try all those and see what happens yeah and see how you feel and see what you enjoy I mean if you if you if you hate writing blogs and you're making a little bit of money blogging, then maybe you need to think about transitioning into something else because ultimately you want to spend time doing something that doesn't make you miserable. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I completely agree. Like when I was in my, my mid-20s, like 25 years old, I also did a lot of traveling in Asia. I remember that once, like after eight months of intensive traveling, I was like, okay, enough. I want to be productive again because, yeah, traveling is cool. But it's also nice to, I think especially for people who are listening to this podcast, we want to build something, right? <laughs> right? And I think it's good to, to figure that out. I think in order to really discover discover that, you know, if I'll build it or not, you just, need to, you just need to do it. Do you have like the same feeling after that year, after a year of traveling? Like, do um, you also have the feeling like that you wanted to be productive again? Uh,
1: I mean, no, even, even the past year where I've been, traveling a lot less i miss it
2: mm-hmm.
1: i miss running around like a crazy person and like hearing someone be you know, my friend being, telling me that they're going to be in south africa like oh okay i'll come next week
2: yeah
1: <laughs> and yeah. i'll go stay there for a month just because i know someone i know is going to hang out there
2: yeah
1: i like i i really enjoyed doing that but i figured there was a lot of work to be done I, i'm building i've been building another business for a while mm-hmm and that's, I've sort of soft launched that and it's making a little bit of money now. And I, I, it's, it's something that has a much greater potential than the Thai site. So I, I feel like I need to really grind and, and put some time into that and turning that into something real this year. So as much as I'd like to go travel all over the world again, I know if I work really hard for a year, this thing will make a lot of money. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, that's a uh, that's a good inspiration then. I guess. Let's um, yeah. So let's recap a little bit the success that you've had with uh, learn Thai from a white guy. What mm-hmm. do you think? So basically, you started offline, right? You started teaching one on one, and that way you got a really good idea of what the struggles are of well, the white guys or the foreigners in in Thailand, which was basically right. pronunciation. Um, that's when you started your blog. You got some traffic there, and then eventually you launched an ebook where you helped people to solve that specific problem. You right. launched a product. People started buying it, and then from there, it was really just a matter of of, of getting getting more traffic, right? And basically, the way you you did that was by running uh, well, running paid ads. Do you think there right. were any other? things or actions that you have taken that have contributed to the success of of the business? What were like the Uh, most important things that you've done for
1: your business that have uh, contributed to... There are a couple of things that I could throw in. One is that I've always tried to be really honest in my marketing. Mm -hmm. And I always always write the emails as if I was just writing to a friend. Mm -hmm. And I think that's paid off a lot. So I get people answering me all the times, saying thanks. Even though, even when I re emailed some customers I hadn't contacted in years, they're like, "Oh, thanks for checking." <laughs> <laughs> and I was so and it's funny because you're always so scared. I'm always so scared. to Like I'm always nervous that I'm gonna bother someone. Like mm-hmm. I still have these feelings. I mean, I I I've, I can go past them, but I remember in the early years it was very difficult for me. I always felt that I was I didn't want to be annoying or I didn't want to bother someone or pester them to buy my stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to reframe your mindset so that if you're really offering something of value, it's okay to go and tell people about it. If yeah. they really don't want to hear about you, they can unsubscribe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. if they get really angry, you don't want those people on your list. You don't want those people buying your stuff because you don't want to deal with that type of person. Yeah, I think this is this is a, a an invaluable point for someone doing B two C. Is that you know once you make a little bit of money, it's you know fire the bad customers. Don't don't work with people who cause you a lot of stress and problems. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it's not worth, you know, whatever business you're getting from that person anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you give a few examples of how you like the language that you use with with the with the people that you email? Because you say you talk to them like a friend. Can you give us a few examples of things that you would you would share with the people? Okay, so
1: when I'm when I do an email sale or an offer, which I do very often, I'd say, I mean, Mm -hmm. at least twice a month, maybe if not more. I tell them where I am and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, I'm in back in Chiang Mai, and the burning season started. The air quality is terrible, so you know everyone's wearing masks. Like, I, I let them know as if I was writing like my aunt or something. Yeah, I give them a little bit of background of what I've been doing, and if something interesting is happening, I tell them about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, like, oh, by the way, thirty percent off courses this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, by now, within twenty-four
0: hours, if not, the offer expires and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: I mean, there's still there's still some some level of like marketing psychology in there, but yeah, I, I, I just I think it's better to be honest and to stick to the the times that you say. And sometimes I'll do like an offer where like there's ten slots, mm-hmm. and I, I actually mean there's going to be ten slots, so I'm not going to just leave it open. Yeah. I'll say, sorry, the tens lots are used up, but if you want, I'll give you this little coupon code as a consolation, or, or you can wait till the next offer.
0: Yeah. I, I guess the big benefits that we have, or the big advantage that we have as a langpreneur, you know, we as someone, you know, we build a language business based on our skills, but also around our personality, right? So people know you, people know that right. you are the white guy. So this right. is something that like big companies cannot do like we can share we can say hey it's Brad here um, just moved to Vietnam because of the burning season yeah I'm learning Vietnamese we can do that like it's hard for big companies to, to do that so I think if people have the question like how can we as small you know solopreneurs solopreneurs, how can we compete to all these big companies and I think that this is uh, this is one way we can do that do you think that there are other ways that, or other benefits that we have as a solopreneur in this language learning
1: niche benefits for us or for the customer well maybe both yeah
0: where where are the opportunities for the customer well maybe for the customer if it's a benefit for the customer <laughs> it's also benefit for us right
1: all right so compare in the, in the case of my business i'm a, a farmer that learned to speak this language mm-hmm. so i have I remember how I learned it, and I can show it to someone else. Not just also also the people that I've taught and the people that have bought my courses, mm-hmm. and I can share that knowledge with someone to save them time. Yeah. And I can explain things that the average native speaker isn't even aware of that they take for granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, imagine imagine trying to explain how to make an L sound if you have. I mean, so if you're a language teacher, maybe you have some experience thinking about this, but the average person. The average, especially a monolingual person, they have no idea about how to make the sounds in their mouth, mm-hmm. and how to ex- how do you explain that sound to someone else? Yeah, especially if it's not their native language, it's very difficult.
0: Yeah. So that's the uh, advantage that you have.
1: Well, how, is be, how would a big company do this? How would like Rosetta Stone mm. ex- explain an L? Would, would they they wouldn't even bother with it because that's not worth their time. Mm. Yeah. So
0: that's like. So how do you do that? How do you like give an example, how do you teach people how to pronounce certain sounds in Thai? Do you make it very personal?
1: Do you share a story or? Sometimes it depends on what it is. So I do use some mnemonics for some things. Uh, there's a couple videos in the course, in like the, the first course, where I, I'm actually kind of telling them what's where your tongue is supposed to be and how it's similar to a sound in English, but now and how it's different. Yeah. Like how to make like an NG sound. Do you, do you speak any languages that have an NG in the beginning? um a little bit of thai nah or, or cantonese as well i guess right right um, cantonese has the same sound but how would you explain that sound like this right, <laughs> but that's, how, that's, right that's how a native speaker explains it too because yeah. they're gonna they're just gonna say nah and then you say <laughs> nah, and then you're they're like no yeah. this is a very standard transaction between native speakers and learners where. The native just keeps repeating the sound, and you say it wrong, and then somebody gets upset and gives up. Yeah. So, so I help people pass that part.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can only do that because you have gone through this experience yourself, right? Whether the, these big companies, of course, they, they, they don't make a personal, or maybe they haven't even learned the language themselves. They just work with
1: native speakers. It's just a different level of insight, and it's more personable. Maybe there's trust on some levels. I I, I don't I can't always say what, what the reasoning is, why someone buys my course over Ty Rosetta Stone other than saying that my stuff is way better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, I really believe that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, again, so you, the success of Learn Thai from a White Guy, maybe number one was actually to get a really good understanding of the challenges that, the foreigners Mm. in Thailand um, are facing who want to learn Thai. Email marketing, make it very personal, right? Paid ads, you became really good with that, especially Google ads. Anything else that is worth sharing with the people here who are listening to the podcast? Any other tips or advice that you want to share here? Any lessons
1: learned? Uh, Okay, there's I would say always be testing. I'd say that's something that I, I didn't understand in the beginning and learn how to test, how to do A-B tests and always be running a test. You always want to be testing something. Every time you have a feeling or a hunch, that's all it is. You, you don't know if it's going to bring in extra money or bring in extra emails or get in more traffic. The only way to know is to, to test whatever you have now versus whatever your idea is and let it go for a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just run, Even if you're running like one test a month, just always be testing. And, yeah. and, once you, and once something's been a certain way for a while, it's okay to test it again a year later or whatever, mm-hmm. because the the environment, the dynamics of, of your business can change over time, yeah. as can the audience or, or the way that the, the traffic is coming to you
0: yeah
1: I think that's that's a, something I. I didn't understand the importance of it early on.
0: Yeah, I kind of I kinda agree with that. Like when I started with language boost in the beginning, I was just looking at what the other guys were doing, right? And I saw how they right. were doing it, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do something similar, and then it should work for me as well. But for some reason, it just it just doesn't always work, right? So testing, um, yeah, every business is different, and you know, for the listeners who are listening yeah they might think, "Hey, okay, this guy has been really successful with with Google ads, so maybe I should do the same, but no wait right. don't don't immediately start doing what all the successful people are doing, but really first ask yourself, okay what is gonna what is potentially gonna bring my business to the next level and just focus on 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 that activity yeah, it's okay um, to
1: try these ideas, but just just because I've done something doesn't mean it's gonna work the same way in your business because Every niche is, going to, is different.
0: Mm-hmm. So People it,
1: buying shoes are very different than people buying a language learning course.
0: Mm-hmm. It's there maybe, you know, well, many, you know, online business gurus, I would say, or, you know, man, often people talk about diversifying, so diversifying your traffic. Right, um, what would you say about that because most of your traffic is is paid traffic? What if ads get so expensive that you cannot afford it anymore like are you do you think about diversifying sometimes
1: yeah, of course, that's why about a year or so ago, I really started working on s e o more I, I wrote a bunch of posts I just wrote another one this morning okay i am trying to i hired a, I hired a writer to help me out with that so I'm, my goal this year is to try to get up at least a post every month and I mean, there's a million other things I'm always working on. So for, for me to even get one post a month is will make me happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm very distracted trying to, you know, keep keep the Thai business running and making a bit more money. And then I'm also building up this other one. And I have a long list of tasks. And every day is, is tough to just decide what to work on. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's the main challenge for for us entrepreneurs, right? As an employee, you get assigned to certain tasks, but we need to prioritize our own tasks. That's uh, it's
1: it's very difficult. Nobody tells me what to do, oh, yeah. which is most of the time it's great. and so you sit down and there's like 130 tasks, and you're like, oh, I can't make a decision. Yeah,
0: the good thing is to have all the freedom, but yeah, the disadvantage is to yeah, you need to be I guess more yeah, self-disciplined and be able to prioritize, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, it's definitely there's always going to be some downside to what you're doing, but I wouldn't trade the the freedom for anything else. It's all my all my pains about are seems silly in comparison. Mm. Oh, I can't decide what to work on today, or if I want to just not work at all and go to the gym, <laughs> versus having a job and working for someone else's business. I can't. I can't. I can't even. I can't even imagine going back to that life.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree. So, how has building an online business changed your life? Uh, I mean,
1: it allowed me to see the world and do what I want and chase after the things that I. I'm passionate about and it gave me just the freedom to do whatever I felt like Mm. if if something seemed interesting to me I could just go there and check it out
0: yeah so maybe it's not necessarily about the money but it's more about spending time with the people you want to spend time with and and doing more of the things that you like doing and that you get fulfillment from
1: I think once you reach a certain level of passive or semi-passive income where you don't have to work all the time, and it's a lot less money than you would think, mm-hmm. there's this weight off your shoulders, which I've always referred to as this sort of financial cloud of anxiety that hovers over people when you have car payments and mortgages and all these things where if you didn't suddenly have your job, you would suddenly be, you know, go deep into debt from all, from all, these, uh, all these bills you have. But I, I don't spend that much money and I travel the world at will. I live out of Airbnbs. I haven't, had, I haven't rented a room in I don't even know how many years. Three years, four years, five years maybe. And it's great. Uh, the longest I've stayed anywhere last year was probably 20 years, 27 or 28 days in Thailand. And that's a long time for me. I'd say that the previous two years before that, I'd never stayed anywhere that long. Or I guess if, if I'm traveling in a country, I might be in the country, but I'm certainly not in one city that long. These days I, I bounce back and forth between Thailand and Vietnam a lot and then I'll go to Japan once or twice a year. I go to the States to visit people maybe twice a year. I go to Australia to see some friends once or twice a year and then I'll go to Europe at least once a year and whatever else comes up. I just if I don't have any reason to be anywhere, which I usually don't, and something's happening that I want to go to, I can go. I might not go cuz I'm working on something and I don't want the interruption or because I'm I was just did a big trip and I want to I don't I'm not up for another 16-hour plane ride, but having the freedom to just do that and not have to worry about if you can afford it is—it's great. And it does. It, and if you don't have car payments and car insurance and mortgages, you suddenly have all this money that you it's not. I mean, it's 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 freed up for you to do the things that you care about and the things that, that matter to you. And you know, you don't have to. I don't buy stuff. I own so little stuff. I have. I live out of a backpack, a nice backpack, and I have a ukulele. That's it. I don't have. I I have generally have one or two pairs of pants, and I. I have, sometimes I have, I have some jackets stashed around the world if I go somewhere cold, <laughs> and I don't. I don't need any stuff. Yeah. Well.
0: Well, well, it's very, very inspirational for those who want to travel more because. As you can see, it's really possible, but yeah, of course you first need to figure out what the pain points of your customers are and find a really good way to help them solve their problems and then eventually also need to make sure that you get a lot of, or you get enough traffic. And um, as Brad said, you can do that with paid ads, but also organically. Brad, any final tips or advice or things that you want to share with other language entrepreneurs listening
1: to this uh, podcast? I think finding your audience is once you've found your audience, you'll, you'll be all right. You've you, you got to figure out what they need and what they want and how to make those people happy. Because as, as a small internet entrepreneur like I, us and your listeners, you only need a 1,000 people to give you 100 bucks a year to have enough money to do whatever the hell you want.
2: Hmm.
1: And, and if you think about that, it's not it's it's not as hard as building up like a YouTube channel with millions of followers, which is which you can also do, but it's it's a lot of work there. But to find a thousand people that you can offer value to, you can change your life.
0: Mm. How do you find your
1: thousand people? Well, I found them by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got very lucky that I had people around me who, who acted as guides to me in the beginning because they were my clients. They were, I was teaching them Thai. So I had people that were already making money online being like, you got to make an email list, make, you need an autoresponder. And I didn't know what an autoresponder was, but they explained it to me. I was like, okay, I can do that. That's not that hard. But you have to sit down and do it. You have to sit down and do it and then you have to try it and it, it won't be perfect and that's okay. And you test it over time. You change things that don't work. And, you, and you, when you have an idea, you just test it.
0: Yeah. So, so maybe it's really a question of looking around, you know, looking – Talking to the people around you, see what their problems are and maybe identify some of the skills that you have that can help them to overcome those problems. Then just get started with them, like you did. Right. And then those people will be the guides you will be your guides to, to to you know other people who are dealing with, with the same problems.
1: Well if you if they have an audi- if you have an, if you have an audience already, even if it's just a few hundred people, you you can already you can already start playing with that. You can try to make a product, an ebook to solve whatever the problem is or or some sort of guide and see if you can get see if you can get your small audience of 100 people to to buy a $17 PDF from you. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then also once, start a conversation, you, yeah.
1: I was going to say that once you've made your first sale, your it'll it your mindset will change. I I think for me, I didn't I didn't believe anything until the first month. And once 10 people bought my book, that's when I realized that there was money on the internet, <laughs> and, and I could access some of it. It changed my mindset entirely. Just the first couple of sales, so I, I didn't. I, it just it was surreal. And when you, I think when you make your first sale, and and no one comes back saying that they hated it or your product's crap, like I can't believe I bought this. When when you when that doesn't happen, <laughs> there's this great sense of relief, and then you can believe in yourself and and make more stuff that has value. Mm. So for you, Langpreneurs, if
0: you've been listening, if you've been enjoying this podcast episode so far, not well, now you know what to do. Who is your audience? Who are the people you are serving? And what kind of problems do you help them solving? And then, you know, just sell something. If you really have an audience that wants something from you, then offer a product because, as Brad says, your mindset is going to change after that very first sale. It's really about finding that momentum and um, yeah so keep going and uh, Brad any other things (laughs) Uh,
1: stay honest (laughs) stay honest honest. be personal yeah be nice and uh, just work really hard to, to, to make something good of value to that will help someone or will make someone else's life better or easier Great. Well,
0: Brad, thank you very much. If people want to learn more about you and about what you do, how can they find you?
1: Uh, learn Thai from The other site that I've been working on that's functional is fakingfluency.com. And what happens then? It's a dialogue trainer for language learning. Okay. So you offer multiple languages? Yeah, there's about 30 or so in there now. Okay. But... But some of them are further along and cleaner than others. But big things will happen on that site this year.
0: Sure. We're going to check that out as well. Um, Brad, again, thank you. Yep, thanks a lot. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, Langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.